0: Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Happy New Year, if I haven't already wished you one. Uh, good to be together at the beginning of the year and uh, just to just turn our hearts to God. So if I've never met you before, let me add my welcome to Jordan's. It's so great to have you uh, connecting here in the north location. And um, God has got us on a great journey, doesn't he? Let's pray and uh, we'll ask God that he'll speak to us. We, as a church, we love taking time just to dig into the Bible And we find and we believe that the Bible is God's word. And as we turn to it, he speaks to us right into our hearts. Uh, So let's ask him to do just that. Father, we thank you that we're in your very presence. And when we gather in your name, you're there. I'm asking you, Lord, as we look at a really important set of verses, that you would speak through these scripture verses right into our hearts in a way that will change our lives. We invite you to change our lives. We ask that you'd speak to us. God, you know everyone here today. Some are close to you. Some are very distant from you. But thank you, you're here because you wanted them, every one of us, to meet with you. And I pray, draw people close to you. God, thank you in your love, Jesus. You came into this world and you died in that cross to save us. And you rose again and you're alive right now. Do your great work, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let me uh, get something. There's this piece of sh- string I find here, which amazingly, as, as as I followed it earlier on today, I actually followed it all the way from my house. It came all the way from my house right across the other side of town. And actually, as I looked at it, it, it just, it continued, as far as I could see, right over the horizon. And I guess it probably wraps around the world several times and then shoots off a tangent into space eternally. What an amazing piece of string to find here in, in North Edinburgh. But this piece of string reminded me of, of your life. This piece of string has a beginning. Your life had a beginning. You probably can't remember it. It was quite fun, not for you. Uh, but you had a beginning. And like this piece of string, you will have no ending. just keeps going and going and going. The Bible is clear that you and I are eternal. Now we have a beginning. Now we're different to God because God had no beginning. God's always been us. That's, that's what it means to be God, and God will have no ending. But in a similar way to God, we ha- we while we didn't have a be- we had a beginning, God didn't have a beginning. We have a beginning, but we, like God, will have no ending. We are being created as eternal beings. It goes on and on and on for all eternity. And this little bit here, just just there. That's your 90, 100, 110 years on earth. That's that little bit here that we're living. We're round about here just now. Well, I'm, I'm about there. I'm going for the 120, right? I'm round about there. And here we are. We're living in this little life. But actually, and the amazing thing is the Bible's really clear. And it's like What goes on in this part affects that part. Forever. The the decisions we make in this part have an eternal effect for eternity. That's an amazing thought. Now here's the here's the crazy thing. The crazy thing is a lot of people spend all their life in this little bit here trying to earn enough money so that they can really chill out in that little bit there. Right? They work really, really, really hard, save and save and save so that ooh I can chill out in that little bit there. <laughs> Who's the fool? The one who lives for God in eternity or the ones who who gives everything in this life. You were created to know God. You were created to know God in this life and in eternity. Our lives were not created for insignificance but to make a great difference for the glory of God. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. If you you don't have a Bible, the, the verses will be on the screen. And these verses are all about how we can live and make an eternal investment. Financial advisors will talk to you about how you can invest in a way that will affect your next 30 years. These verses speak about how you can invest to affect the next 30,000 years of your life or the next 30 billion, you take your pick. It will affect how we invest and how we live in this life has an eternal difference. Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Say that with me. One, two, three. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, the whole body will be full of light. If your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So here's where we're going to go today, right? We're going to, we see, just in these verses, I'm seeing three couplets two treasures, two perspectives, two masters, just in those verses. And then after looking at those three couplets, I'm just going to fire off three bits of advice that I can see from these verses that God is giving us. So, first of all, two treasures. Let's read the verse again, verse 19 and 20. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin um, do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In the ancient world, there were three ways that you could store your wealth In in the world that Jesus was living in 2,000 years ago. This is how it was. It was in your garments, in your gold, or in your grain. And here Jesus tackles each of those. First of all, he talks about your gold, and he, he mentions that your gold could be stolen by thieves. And then there's the grain, and the grain could be eaten by vermin, little rats and mice. Apparently, 15% of all stored grain in India is eaten by vermin. Isn't that amazing, 15%. Or is it garments? Garments are damaged by moths. Now, let me make a point here. Moths don't damage garments that you're wearing. You're not, you're not walking around saying, get off me, moths. Not, that's not how we live, right? Moths damage garments that are stored and unused. So he's not talking about resources. He's talking about resources that are un, is unnecessarily stockpiled. You know, you've got it all, but it's away somewhere and it's never accessed. That's what he's referring to stockpiling is a problem. What's the problem with stockpiling? Well, I guess on the surface, it puts resources into neutral. Resources that could make a difference are not making a difference. On the surface, that's a reason why stockpiling is a negative. But you know what I think the ultimate problem, the real problem that God has with stockpiling isn't that your resources are a negative. It's that your soul isn't trusting God. That's, I think... God's biggest issue with a stockpiling and hoarding wealth. I don't know if any of you remember the, the Hatton Garden safe deposit burglary. It was in 2015. And a whole lot of, I mean, it was, it, apparently it, it was called the largest burglary in English legal history. 200 million pounds worth of stuff was stolen from people's stored away stuff. And it, you know, anything from watches right through to expensive jewellery, through to wads of cash, all sorts of stuff was stolen. And it was it, the crazy thing about it, and you, you'll remember this from the news, is that four gentlemen were arrested for the for the thieves, for the thievery. And it was they were fifty years old, sixty-seven years old, seventy-four years old, and seventy-six years old. You know, it just just shows you're never too young. <laughs> That's maybe the wrong message, but but the, the these, these old guys did the, 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 the biggest robbery in English legal history. Incredible, but one but you know the, the tragedy of it was that many of the people many of the people did not have any insurance on their belongings, and the reason they didn't have any b- insurance on their belongings, and I quote one of one guy who lost. Forty to £50,000 pounds worth of stuff in his safe deposit box. He lost that much. And this is what he said. He said he didn't have it insured because on their website, it said that Hatton Garden was the safest place to keep your money. <laughs> but Ashley went on the website again, and it still says that. <laughs> I, think, I think they've got to review their marketing or, or something, but uh, it really probably isn't. You can't really claim that anymore. But this guy and and many others didn't have any insurance on their belongings because it was the safest place on earth to leave your money. Well, Jesus is saying, actually, there is a safer place. The the safest investment you can make with your resources is in heaven. That's an amazing statement to make. That's a revolutionary statement to make 2,000 years ago when he said it. And it's a revolutionary statement to make 2,000 years later in materialistic, wealthy, Edinburgh. That's a controversial and yet very true thing to say. Now, atheists would sneer at this because for atheists, this world, this little bit, is all there is. You know, when you die, you just cease to exist. That's what atheists would say. In fact, Karl Marx, uh, the philosopher, he says that religion is the opium of the people. And what he means by that is that religion kind of makes you not face the realities of this world with this pipe dream that there's some sort of, you know, happily ever after that you're eventually going to get to. And that gets, kind of gets you through the hard times in life. It stops you facing the realities of life. And Karl Marx is very cynical about religion and he says, oh, religion, that's just your, it's just like, it kind of comforts you. It's this comfort about heaven, but it isn't a real comfort. It just gets you through the hard things of this life. And actually, the reality is, And C.S. Lewis made this point. I love this quote. C.S. Lewis said, it is those who have thought most about the next world that have done most in this one. In other words, it's not an unreality to understand that actually our lives on this earth are short and eternity is worth investing in. Jesus wasn't promoting unreality. He wasn't helping people to have some form of escapism that would make you no earthly good but C.S. Lewis was absolutely right that people who have thought most about eternity have actually lived to the max in this part, have made more of a difference than that you look at history. Those who have thought about eternity and God and faith are the ones who are shaping this world more than anyone else positively on planet earth. Faith, God, the hope of eternity motivates us to live bigger, more awesome lives in this time we're here than anything else. The Bible does talk about eternity. And it says that eternity could be a lost eternity for you, or it could be an eternity with God. The Bible's very clear in that. There is a heaven, but there also is hell, which is an eternal existence without God. And the reality is if you live in this life, if you live in this life with God, you will die with God, and you will live for eternity with God. If you live in this life, without God, you will die without God, and you will live eternally, exist eternally without God. And, you know, if you go on the streets and say, are you going to heaven? Everyone would say, well, if there is one, of course I'm going. I'm not a bad person. That's what they would say. And yet they spend their lives totally disinterested in God. That's weird because I thought heaven was all about God. And yet in this life, you've just proven it by choice. You've chosen in this life to completely ignore your creator. And then why do you expect in eternity that, oh, I'll be so in love with him and I'll be with him. No, you've ch- You made a choice. You've chosen not to have God in your life in this life. So your choice will define and will perpetuate your eternity. Live with God, you will die with God, and you'll live forever with God. Live without God, you will die without God, and you will live forever without God. But God in his love didn't want that to happen and that's why Jesus Christ came into this world. God took a step towards us. Jesus died on the cross, paid the price for all our waywardness, for all our sin. He died in your place and when you trust in him, the Bible says he literally, he died in your place. He literally, I guess you could say, he was willing to go through hell for you because he was unwilling to go to heaven without you. Jesus died in your place. He took your hell. He took, died your death. He lived a life you couldn't live. And he died the death that you should have died so that you, could, by trusting in Jesus, can have a new life and an eternal life with him. Trust in Jesus today. If you haven't already done that, make that decision. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. So Jesus says, live in such a way that God has got your heart. Live in such a way that your life is making a difference in eternity. Use your money in such a way that your life makes a difference eternally. So where your treasure is, there your heart will be also questioned. What has your heart? What's captivated your heart more than anything else? What you spend your time dwelling on or contemplating or mulling over more than anything else? What draws you and fills your heart? You know, if if God's got your heart, how should you live? I'm going to turn to a verse in a moment, but let me just ask a question, first of all. Are are you rich today? You know, if, if I was to go around and ask each one of you who considers themselves wealthy, financially wealthy. My guess is, probably not many of us would say yes, but let me ask you a different question. If you have money in the bank and in your wallet and you've got some spare change, then according to the facts, you are part of the top eight wealthiest on planet Earth. Just by having money in the bank, some in a wallet, and a little bit of spare change, you are part of the top eight wealthiest, 8% wealthiest. You know that almost half the world's population lives on less than two pounds a day. Okay, so now if I was to go around and ask Each one of us, including myself, are we wealthy? Are we the rich? My guess is in the light of the bigger picture, I think kind of yes. So therefore, I have a verse for rich people. Paul wrote to a young pastor, Timothy, and he told him to actually teach wealthy people about how to use their money. He told them to do the very thing that most pastors don't want to talk to the church about. Most people don't, I don't like, I don't feel comfortable necessarily talking to us about money. And yet the Bible instructs, Paul writes to Timothy and says in verse 17, instruct those who are rich in this present world. Now we've just kind of agreed that that's us. We're rich in this present world. Instruct those who are rich in this present world, not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to say, enjoy Instruct them to do good and to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. That verse is packed with so many great things. Uh, first of all, it says, don't trust your riches. You see that? It says, instruct those who are rich in this world not to uh, be conceited. You know, kind of, oh, I'm quite please with yourself or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches okay sure you've got money in the bank don't fix your hope in it but instead to trust God so is you know isn't it ironic that many times in some parts of the world where people are experiencing real poverty that they have an easier job trusting God than we do who have all the wealth and that shouldn't be so rich people here in north Edinburgh I urge you even though we are the rich as far as the world is concerned. Do not place your trust on the check that comes in every month. Don't place your trust on the inheritance that's due you. Don't place your trust on any money or savings you have in the bank. Place your trust in God. Only trusting God will give you a firm foundation. And secondly, it says God gives you to enjoy. Do you see that in the verses? You see this is where many Christians have got it wrong they view riches as a negative thing. Now, I agree, riches can be used in a negative way, and equally, riches can be used in a positive way. But what they fail to realize is the Bible says, God gave you riches for the purpose of, firstly, your enjoyment. So therefore, it would be wrong for you to feel guilty about enjoying your money. That's wrong. Some people are so religious, and they think that oh man, they, they, they think that they can't enjoy their money so they don't enjoy a holiday. Or you can have a nice car. You can enjoy wearing clothes. Nice <laughs> Wearing clothes is a good thing. <laughs> enjoy wearing clothes. That's great advice. You can enjoy wearing nice clothes. You can go on a holiday. You can have hobbies. You can go to the cinema. You shouldn't feel guilty about going on a holiday. That's warped. That's really weird. God gave you stuff to enjoy. He has no problem with you. And you know, don't don't, don't think like... And, And then you can have hobbies, you can go places, you can have a nice house. No problem. Enjoy your money. That's part of why God gave it to you. Enjoying your money is you, before God, being a good steward. It's part of your worship. You go out and you say, God, I'm going to have a great time today fishing. Or I'm going to, that's what I would say. I'm going to go and watch this movie, God. I'm going to thank you for the joy that we can watch this creativity and oh, I'm going to enjoy this nice meal out with some friends. And you go out to a restaurant. No problem. Don't feel at all guilty. Enjoy it. God gives you money to enjoy. Um, but it goes further. My wife, this morning, she's in the Gorgie location. She's uh, on Minnie's group. She's with the little kids. She's teaching them. And she was telling me the other day, though, that one of the kids in the kids' church came to her and showed her this picture that he'd done. And he says, do you like my picture? And she says, wow, Michael, I love your picture. And he says, no, do you like my picture? And she said, yeah, I love your picture. He says, no. He said, my mummy taught me that you like things. You love people. Little guru. Guru wow, and Angie said, you're right, you're absolutely right, that was good advice, we have a little Solomon, full of wisdom, in our kids church, in Gorgie, little Michael, amazing, you like things, you love people, so yeah, enjoy things, yeah, enjoy the good things of this life, no problem, don't feel at all guilty for it, but you love people, and so does God, And part of the reason God has given you resources, partly to enjoy it, but also partly to share it. Say share. And look look what it says in the verses. Instruct those to, to do goods, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share. So God gives you to enjoy, yes. But rich people, God has given us our wealth also to share. It's like an apple. The bit on the outside, you enjoy that. And the bit in the inside, unless you're a weirdo, who knows those people who eat the whole apple and light are left with one star, right? That's weird. What's growing in your tummy? I have no idea, right? But you, you, normal people eat the outside of the apple, and then what do they do with the inside? Well, that's for sowing, right? So that more apples can grow. So so it is with our finances. There is a bit of your finances that God gives you to enjoy. But part of being a good steward of your money is is a chunk of your finances that God has given you and me to share. And part of our joy before God is doing that. So there are two treasuries. Secondly, there are two perspectives. Let's read the verses again. Verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Jesus here talks about if your eye is unhealthy, the New American Standard Translation translates it this way. It says, if your eye is bad. Now, in Jewish culture, they had this phrase of the evil eye. And the evil eye in Jewish culture, which the people at Jesus' time would have understood, that was referring to people who are covetous of other people and what they have. Envious of other people's lives, and also wishing harm on others who have more than you. And Jesus is saying that you shouldn't have that evil eye. Don't have that outlook towards other people that is covetous, envious, or wishing anyone any harm. Instead, Jesus is talking about having a healthy eye. And I believe he is referring very clearly to having a vision to bless other people, to be generous to wish the best for people, and to love humanity, not just in in well-wishing, but in the way you treat them and the way you live. So incredibly important. There was a mother who was preparing pancakes for her two sons, uh, Kevin, who was five, and Ryan, who was three. And the two sons were arguing and arguing and arguing over who was going to get the first pancake. The mother figured this was an opportunity to teach them a spiritual lesson. So she said to Kevin and Ryan, okay, guys, listen, Imagine Jesus was here. Would Jesus take the first pancake or would he allow his brother to take his first pancake? And at that point, Kevin, the oldest, turned to Ryan and says, okay, Ryan, you go, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Being generous spirit is loving other people is exactly what God has called us to be. In fact, I dare go as far to say is that you're really going to enjoy life. If you could not live for you, but live for others. I remember when I was 15 years old, uh, six years ago now. <laughs> and I was just a Christian. I'd just become a Christian. And I was in city centre Glasgow with my mate. And we were just hanging out, just, just me and my mate were just hanging out in town, just going, looking at some shops, going some places. And uh, as we, we went to this part of the town, there was this homeless guy in a wheelchair and he really reeked, he reeked of urine, he had obviously wet himself, he, he absolutely stank and he was asking for money and my friend who had also just become a Christian, my friend Brian, Brian said to the guy, okay listen, well how about we take you for some lunch and the guy said that's great, to be honest I was feeling embarrassed, I was thinking I don't want to be seen with this guy because I thought maybe some of my friends from school will see me with this, hanging out with this guy, it's not cool. Brian just went ahead and did, did a great thing. Took him for lunch in, in the St. Enoch Centre in, in Glasgow. And then after lunch, I kind of thought, right, we've done our good deeds, so let's get on with our afternoon. But instead, Brian proceeded to spend the entire afternoon with this guy. So we took him around shops, he bought him stuff, looked out for him, and really treated him like a human being should be treated. And, and to be honest, I was kind of hanging around in the shadows, just feeling this is a wasted afternoon. Really begrudging what we were doing. So... I got home that evening and I'd just become a Christian, as I said, and I'd started a daily Bible reading plan, which every day took you to a different part of the Bible and read different things. And that day's reading was in Luke chapter 16. And in Luke chapter 16, you can read it yourself. There's a section which describes, there was a man called Lazarus, who was a poor man who had sores and he was pretty rough. And then there was a rich man who lived in luxury all his life. And Lazarus was, he kind of begged at the rich man's gate every day. And the rich man would never share anything with him. In fact, he looked down on him. And even the dogs, his dogs were fed better than that man. But that man knew God and trusted God, and he went to be with God in eternity. And the rich man was so conceited and interested in himself, he died and lost his soul in hell eternally. And I sat there and read that that night as I realized that that was me. I was that stuck-up, snobbish little teenager who looked with disdain on a fellow human being just because he smelled of urine, just because he'd had a different, maybe, I don't know, I don't know what his journey had been, but I, don't, I I looked down completely on another human being and that night, God rebuked me. In his love, he rebuked me. And that night, he changed my heart and he, he changed how I viewed things. I went, I, I, I would say I probably had an evil eye, but God changed my heart. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 27, he who gives to the poor will never want repeat after me one two three he who gives to the poor will never want how many people realize that's a promise from the bible you give to the poor you will never want but he who shuts his eyes will have many curses proverbs 11 verse 25 again read this verse with me one two three a generous person will you're not with me is it up there there it's there you have no excuse, it's there. Okay, ready? One, two, three. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Two perspectives. And do you know what? This is how I pray for this church. God, I want us to be a radically generous church. I want us to be radically generous in how we treat human beings, not just with our money, with the way we use our houses, The way we use our food, the way we use our time, the way we smile at people, the way we take an interest in other human beings. I want us to be a radically generous church, and we will be a prosperous church, a church that has no one, so that we can be radically generous again. Honestly, I believe in biblical prosperity, and biblical prosperity isn't about amassing, but again, God has no problem with you having stuff, no problem at all. Biblical prosperity is way much more than amassing. It's beyond amassing. It's so that you may have an abundance, according to Corinthians, for every good work. God wants us to be blessed in order to be a blessing. Then there are two masters. It says in uh, the verses, verses, verse 24, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In the New King James translation, it's translated slightly differently. It's translated, you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon, it's an old word, but actually the the root Greek word used in the New Testament here is actually mammon. And the word mammon does translate money or wealth, but it also has a deeper meaning to it. You see, the name mammon, could be translated money or wealth, but it was also attributed to a a deity from Syria and from Babylon, a false god, the god of wealth, mammon. So Jesus was using a phrase that didn't just refer to wealth, but also referred to a deity, an idol that was worshipped called mammon. And this idol which originated way back in ancient Babylon. Now, you don't know if you remember in the Bible, where did Babylon emerge from? Remember the Tower of Babel? Remember that? What was the Tower of Babel all about? It was about mankind trying to organize their own lives without God. That's what Babel was all about. And that actually, what the, that's what the God of Mammon's all about. It's about trying to do life without God, about being self-sufficient. That's what Mammon falsely promises and 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 that's what it's about now by the way behind all false gods there are demons operating that's a scary thought but it's true behind the idols both of eastern culture which are physical idols or the idols of the heart in the western culture which are maybe not so obvious and yet they're still idols Behind these idols, there are demonic forces operating, trying to distract people's attention from the worship of the true God to worshiping other things. Many people in this culture are just as idolatrous as many people in the Eastern cultures who bow down in front of a carved image. See, this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 19 to 20. Am I saying that idols are real gods? No, not at all. I am saying that these sacrifices are offered to demons. Paul is saying that there are demons behind the idols that are there. Those deceptions that are taking your eyes off God are deliberately put there by demons. And people don't realize they're worshiping demons. They think they're worshiping deities, but actually behind them are deceptive demons. Now, the point is this. There is a spirit of mammon. There is an agenda that comes with money that wants to seek to take your attention away from God. And Jesus is referring to that. He's saying, you can't serve God and money. Now, money in and of itself is neutral. It's just a thing. It's just, it's not evil. In the hands of a good person, it can be used for great good. In the hands of an evil person, money can be used for great evil. Money is just a neutral thing. And yet, there's something about it that a demon, that, that is behind this whole uh, deity of mammon, wants to distract people and take their trust away from God and start trusting instead in money. You see, the question is this. Do you use money and serve and love God or do you use God and serve and love money? That's the big question that Jesus is putting here. How do you know if you are serving money or serving mammon? Okay, let me ask a question. If the money you hope for doesn't come, do you get angry with God? Because if you get angry with God's, Maybe you saw God as a means to an end. You know the the crazy thing is, in some Christian Christian cultures, God becomes a means to an end of getting wealth. That's crazy. You want to get prosperous? Get God. Okay, then so they get God. That's warped. Now I believe you can prosper. I mean, the Bible's clear on that. I'm clear on that. The Bible's clear on that. But you don't get God to prosper. You get God because he's God. And by the way, God prospers. But God is not a means to an end. God is the end in himself. So if money doesn't come and you get all angry with God, could it be that you've actually been worshiping a wrong God? Say amen. Okay. How do you know if God is your God or if money is your God? You know, are you using God and serving money or are you serving God and using money? How do you know what's the difference? Okay, here's some more questions. How do you make all your decisions? Does money make all your decisions for you? So you, your decision-making process is solely, and I'm not saying you shouldn't think of this, but it's, if your decision-making process is only this, then money is your God. I can't afford to do this. Now, the truth is, that's not the question. That's not the ultimate. You've got to look at whether you can afford to do things. You've got to live within your means. I understand that. That's good stewardship. However, there comes a point where if God tells you to do something, whether you can afford to do it or not, you have to understand that God is able to provide anything that's needed to his will, his bill, right? So other people say, well, I couldn't go there because I can't afford it. That's really not the question. The question is: Does God want you to go there? I'm not suggesting be reckless, but I'm certainly not suggesting be so foolish that you let money make all your decisions for you. If you did, this church would not exist. You know things like I can't afford to get married. I hear people say this all the time. They can't, so they're, they're trying to save up for this amazing wedding, so it looks great and all their mates it's as good as their mates' ones. But in the meantime, they wait for years and slip into immorality consistently just having tons of sex outside of marriage and keep asking for forgiveness, but they're, they're kind of putting off the wedding day because they can't afford the special. Do you know what? dudes? just go to a registry office. Just get your wedding done. Come here, we'll pray blessing on you and live with a clear conscience and use the money you saved up for that special day. Buy a house or a car or something like that, right? And live with some integrity. I don't care if you have this big show that you have to save up for. right? so I can't afford to get married. What? I can't afford to have kids, you serious? They are so cheap. Honestly, they are so cheap. Really, they're, honestly, all you need is a little corner for them and they are so cheap. Can't afford to have kids. People making all these decisions based purely on money. It's the craziest thing. And then you see people deciding to leave church. Like the last, last couple of years of their life, they've really grown in their faith. Honestly, they've just really connected with God. They've really grown in their faith and then they make this Random decision to leave church because a job was offered to them in London, which paid so much more than the job they were on in Edinburgh. Now, I'm not saying that God can't lead you to London. No problem, He can. If He leads you to London. But I'm certainly saying that money should not be your. If God wants you in London, great. And if you get paid more, all the better. But go if God's leading you, not because there's a better job on the offer. It's crazy. And so people give up like, two years of real growth in their faith as they were part of an alive church to relocate somewhere else just because there's a better salary. And they've absolutely no idea if there's a good church in that area. Uh, you're nuts. That's crazy. That's letting money make a decision. And you say that God's your God. It sounds like money's your God. Money's making all your decisions for you. And here's the crazy thing. Mammon, money offers you so many things that only God could give you. Things like security, sense of well-being, true peace and joy. Money offers you all that, and yet it's a hollow promise. A sense of identity. Can't give you that. Mammon spirit is actively trying to get people to depend on and seek after money instead of depending on and seeking after God. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And people who are eager for money have wandered from the faith. It doesn't say that money's evil. It says that when money captivates your heart and it becomes a love in your life, that's evil. That's warped. And if you actually analyze it, look at all around the world. The wars based on oil money. Or the child soldiers based on diamonds money. Or the oppression from the drug cartels based on drug money. All around the world, there are things going on. You look at the slave trade way back in our terrible history, where precious people from Africa were stolen from their homes and sold. And you know, many of the, the, the illustrious buildings in the UK were built on the, the profits of the slave trade. Many of the town halls, some churches built on the profits of the slave trade. You know, the, some many stately homes around the UK. You know, Downton Abbey, that film. Downton Abbey, where it was filmed, that stately home was built from the profits of the slave trade. And that's, a, I mean, a beautiful architecture, but what a terrible, terrible thing. So money became the driving force behind that terrible oppression of fellow human beings. Some of them whipped, some of them lynched, hanged, treated like animals. Horrendous in the name of money. The, the love of money becomes the root of all kinds of evil. How many times have you lost sleep over money? How many times have you had an argument with your spouse over money? According to Citibank, the survey shows that 57% of people getting divorced would cite money as the reason for their divorce. You see, if you make God your master and money your slave, that's true living. And actually, ironically, when you make God your master and money your slave, ironically, you get identity, you get security, you get the joy and the happiness that money promised but can't deliver on. You get it all in God. The false God can't give you that. The true God can. Ironically, when you make God your master and money your slave, you actually financially prosper. That's the irony. The very thing you didn't chase is the very thing you get because God can trust you with it because it doesn't have your heart. And he's trusting you because he sees you're like him and you'll give it away anyway and be a blessing. And you know, the crazy thing is that, and the most important thing is that when God's your master and money's your slave, you have an eternal inheritance your life isn't just about this life your life is about eternal impact that just goes on and on and on so how can you make god your master and money your slave let me give you three principles in closing turn with me to luke chapter 16 verses 6 9 to 13 jesus again uses that analogy of you cannot serve god and money and listen to what he says i tell you use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with a very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with a very little will also be dishonest with much. If you who have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? If you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give your own property to you? No one can serve two masses. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And there are three principles here I want us to see. Number one, you and I are stewards. Say, I'm a steward. Verse 12, if you've been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? God owns everything. We are just stewards. Of that which is another's. Um, the late Bishop Edwin Hughes preached a message one day about how we are stewards. And one of the guys in his congregation, who was very wealthy, took real issue with that point. And he asked Edwin Hughes to come out to his house later that week to discuss it. And so Edwin Hughes later that week went to visit this wealthy man and, and he, he arrived at this huge estate. And the, he had, had lunch with them and they went out for a walk around the gardens, saw the acres of land. They saw the fountains and the, and the, the, the forests and all the, the ponds and all this incredible possession this man was looking after. And the guy turned to him after and said, listen, last week you preached on how we are all stewards of that which is God's. You're not going to tell me that none of this belongs to me, are you? You're going to tell me none of this belongs to me? And Edwin Hughes says, um, you know what, ask me in 100 years' time. (laughs) Because the reality is, in 100 years' time, none of it will belong to you. You and I are stewards. Everything we've got is God's. We're not possessors, we're stewards. God is the possessor of heaven and earth. He is the owner, he is the creator, it's all his. We've just been entrusted with what's God's. Listen to what David the king says. David had many possessions. He said in 1 Chronicles twenty nine fourteen, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? So they had all given a huge offering. Everything comes from you and we have given only what comes from your hands. In other words, God, when we gave to you, actually you'd already given it to us in the first place. So we were just giving back to you so what does it mean to be a steward and the bible's packed with advice here's just some of it i mean mean, we're just going to skim the surface what does it mean to be a steward it means work hard proverbs chapter 10 verse 4 lazy hands make for poverty but diligent hands bring wealth you want to prosper you want to do well financially you want to be a good steward go work hard i'd love it to be that if you know in your on your cv it says uh, and by the way, I'm a Christian. I attend Destiny Church. The employees are instantly saying, "Got to employ them because they're real hardworking people. They're just go-getters. They're, they're great. They've got a great attitude towards their employers, towards their fellow colleagues. They enhance their environments. They're not looking for you know to, to take shortcuts. They, they aren't the first ones to leave at the end of the day. They, they work hard. They've got a good balance as well. They're just hardworking people, great people, honest people. That's what I want the church to be like. Give me an amen." Okay, then they say, save money, that's good stewardship. Proverbs 21, verse 20. Where precious, there is precious possession and oil in the house of the wise who prepare for the future, but the short-sighted and foolish man swallows it up and wastes it. Savings. Now, we said earlier that stockpiling was wrong. However, the Bible says on this occasion and on numerous other occasions in the, in the Bible that actually savings is right, is good. And what's the difference between savings? Well, savings is prudent, but stockpiling is an expression of unbelief. It is, it is an expression of lack of faith. I have savings. We have two savings accounts and we put money in the savings account, not because we're thinking, oh no, is God gonna provide for us in the future? But because we believe it's one of God's ways of providing in the future that he gives us enough now in the seasons of abundance so that when, we, when you go through a tougher time or you've got a bigger expense, that you have a reserve there to pay for it. That's prudent. That's an act of faith. I see it as God's wisdom. Okay, and then budget and plan. Proverbs 21 verse 5. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Living debt-free. It says in Proverbs 22 verse 7, the borrower is slave to the lender. Now, I understand there is debt and there is debt. A mortgage, for example, assuming you've bought properly, you can relinquish that debt in a moment. You sell the house and you pay the debt. It's a different type of debt. There are other types of debt, however, where what you owe and what you own, that which you own is no longer worth the amount you owe. And that's not a good position to be in. It is better and more prudent before God to save. And when you have enough to buy the thing, then buy it. And until you can afford to buy it, then just do without it. That's better use of money. Provide for your family. 1 Timothy 5 verse 8. This is part of being good stewards. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially the members of his own households, he has denied the faith and he's worse than an unbeliever. Wow, you got to love the Bible. I mean, these verses are nuts. That's a hardcore Bible verse, Yeah. And I have to tell you, precious brothers and sisters, you know what? We are so awesomely blessed to be an international church. You folks from Africa and Asia, you lead the way in this. Give me a high five. You lead the way in this. You do. You look after your elderly. You provide for those who are, you you know, you don't just pam them off. You look after them. You provide, you send money back. You love your family. That is a godly, godly thing. Keep doing that. Keep doing that. And us Folks who are not from Africa and Asia, let's learn from that and from the Bible because that's godly. That is wisdom. Provide for your family. Provide for your mum and dad. Provide for your siblings. Look out for people. Be generous. Let, let it start at home. That's what your Christianity should first be seen, for the glory of God. Leave an inheritance. How about that? That's a scary thought. Man, I'm only 30. You about leaving an inheritance? Well, don't think about it when you're 70. Oh, what have I got left? You know, just think about it now. Proverbs 13, verse 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Not just the next generation, but two generations' time. That's mental. Did you know that being a good steward of God's money means that part of it is you've got wealth ready for the next generation? And many people have this mentality. Oh, no, they've got to work for it like we did. Man, look how grumpy you are. That's really not good. Give them a head start. If you can, give them a head start. Buy them their first house. Go for it, right? Give them a head start. And I understand that some of the things I'm sharing here are like a million miles away from where some of you are at. You're thinking, man, that's that's a great idea, but it's way beyond where I'm at. I'm just saying, how about we embrace some truths and could God make these things possible in a generation for the next year? Yes, he could. It's his word. He can do it. And then bring a tithe. Malachi 3 verse 10. Or for Marcello who's from Italy. Malachi 3 verse 10. (laughs) Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. So that there may be food in my house. Test me now in this says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven. And pour out on you such a blessing until it overflows. I believe in the biblical principle of tithing. I believe in that, and I live that, and I've lived that since I became a Christian when I was 15. I've I've been a tither. I give 10% of everything that comes in, whether it's uh, my salary or whether it's gifts that come in or Christmas money or whatever it is, tithe goes to the Lord. Love that. Now, notice it says, just uh, let me identify this. We are talking about being stewards, and how does this link with stewardship? Well, listen to what it says. It doesn't say give the tithe. It says bring the tithe. Do you see that? Never once in the Bible does it refer to tithing as giving. Never once. Every other time it's referred to, it says, bring the tithe, not give the tithe. Why would it use the word bring rather than give? And the answer is, you can't give what's not yours. But you can bring back to God what is already his. So the tithe is the Lord's. It's not like, all right, God's given me 100% and I get to give him 10. No, no. God's give, God God owns everything. God get, lets you keep 90. The 10th is already his. Now you can choose to spend it on yourself if you want, but it is his. And I believe in tithing. And in, in, in it says, tithe, bring the store, tithe into the storehouse. Every other time tithe is mentioned, it's referring to the house of God. That there may be food in my house, the resource may go further. I, I, I believe in a very simple principle. It's tithe 10%, save 10%, And with the other 80%, live. And part of living is giving. So I believe in offerings and giving to the poor over and above that in the 80%. Tithe 10, save 10, live on the 80. And part of that is giving. And what a difference it will make. In small groups just now, we're going through a series entitled The Blessed Life. We're taking a specific focus on these things at the beginning of the year. We don't often do this. If you're visiting with us, this is not what we always talk about every so often we'll take time to unpack these truths but it's been years since we've talked about these things and in the blessed life which is an amazing series of teachings by a guy called robert morris i would urge you even if you're not usually part of small groups get along to small groups even for this next month to enjoy that journey looking at that great bible study principle number two be faithful and you'll increase verses 10 and 11 now i realize my time is gone but let's keep going because i want to hit these points here Whoever can be trusted with a very little will also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with a very little will also be dishonest with much. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Isn't that amazing? If you've not been trustworthy in handling cash, God will, look, God will watch how you handle cash as a determining factor on whether or not he can trust you with true riches. That's an amazing thought. You know, I I remember I was at a church growth seminar recently and the guy who was leading it was saying, how does your church handle money? Because if your church isn't growing, could it be, it's got nothing to do with leafleting or evangelism or clever marketing or anything like that, it's to do with fundamentally your church isn't handling its money well. I think, wow, that's a good point. So, and, and I have to tell you, one of the reasons I believe Destiny Edinburgh has been growing in recent years Is we've really taken this on board. The church tithes, everything that comes in, the church gives a tithe back out. In fact, we're typically giving 18% away, 10% to church planting, 8% over and above that to caring for the poor locally and internationally. That's what happens with money that comes in. Secondly, we pay our bills on time. Thirdly, we pay appropriate salaries to the church staff. Just to be clear, I don't set my salary, that would be inappropriate. I'm just, just saying that, just in case people are thinking, are you preaching on this stuff so that more money comes in and you get paid more? No, I do, not have, I do not have a say on what I get paid, okay? First of all, God is my source. He provides for me just like he provides for you. I have a salary from the church. And by the way, I would do this even if I didn't. In fact, I did. I, when this church started, I did this when I was working as an architect. I don't do this to get paid. I do this because I love it, right? But I do get a salary and it's set for me. I don't have a say in it. Amen. And, and I, okay, just, to be, just in case you're a cynical person who's thinking negatively about me. We believe in budgeting as a church, just like we should budget in our own homes. We, we set a budget for the year. We believe in setting a budget, and so we manage our, we're living within our means. We believe in saving as a church, so that there's a reserve in place, so that if there's, it's a tough month, there's something there. And it's not an act of unbelief, it's an act of faith. We believe God. Be faithful with the use of money, and God will trust you with true riches. Have a look around you. Look around you at all the people around you. You are looking at the only eternal things in this room. Do you know that? Human beings. These, these chairs aren't eternal. These ceiling tiles aren't eternal. Right? right? You're eternal. The only eternal things in this room are human beings. And when it says you'll be entrusted with true riches, I, I, I believe ultimately the ultimate true riches is God will bless you with souls that we will see lives impacted and transformed. And that leads me to my final principle, and that's this. Use your money to make an eternal impact. It says in verse 9, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Kind of strange verse, but I think what it's saying is this. You can use your money, you can invest it in such a way that actually through your investment, lives are changed and they'll be in eternity with you. Because of your investment in this life. I think that's what it's saying. So here we are in a location. A year and a half ago. This worship center didn't exist. How is it here? Because some people. Decided to give. Many of you gave time. A lot of you have given prayer. But a lot of people have given a lot of money. Because of this worship center to exist. And how many people know. This worship center already has and already will see multitudes of people in this precious community coming to know Jesus Christ and having eternal life. I reckon that's a pretty good use of money. You can use your money and you know what will happen? You'll arrive there. And sure, you weren't the preacher. You were just a person in the church who just gave something. Or you handed out some leaflets. And you're going to arrive there and a whole pile of people that you didn't know They'll, In fact, a pile of people in Gorgie who gave and made this location happen. A pile of people in Leith who gave and made this location happen. They're going to turn up and they're going to meet all these people in eternity. And, and they'll be saying, thank you, thank you. And they like, who are you? And they say, no, no, you gave. Remember you gave back then? Remember that 2020 vision thing you gave to? Remember that church you tithed to? All that? that church took steps. Look, we're here. We're saved as a result of your investment. I think that's what it's saying. So how can you invest in eternity? give, tithe, give offerings, give alms to the poor, live not for self, live for the benefit of others and the glory of God. So in this life, in this little short life, we get to make an investment. We are stewards of that which is God's. How we use that actually can make an eternal difference. Do your giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. Life is not measured by its duration, but rather by its donation. What can you give back? How can you live for God? And in all, he will provide everything we need and more because that's the kind of God he is. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for each and every person here today. God, thank you that you are a generous, loving God. And that the ultimate generosity was shown, Jesus, when you came into this world. And when you died and gave yourself for us. So that we could be forgiven and saved. God, you are amazing. And God, we're so inspired by your generosity, we want to be like you. We want to be generous. We want to be a blessing. And we are very blessed, but we want to be blessed in order to be a blessing for God's glory. Just take a moment, church, in His presence, just to respond to Him. Pray back your own response to God. If God has spoken to you in a particular way, make some decisions in His presence. Pray back your response. I don't know everyone here today, so I just want to give you an opportunity. Maybe today you are not yet a follower of Jesus. You've heard about Jesus. You've heard that he died for you and rose again. Ultimately, that is the most important thing. Do you know what? Even if you never came back to this church, even if you didn't give a penny, that's not the issue. I would be thrilled today to introduce you to God. So God asks you today, will you come to him? Will you put your trust in him? Stop trusting in this life or in wealth. Stop trusting in your own self-sufficiency. Trust in God who came into this world to die to save you. And he's alive. Trust him today. If that's you today, then let me help you connect with God. Very simply, I'll lead you in a prayer. You pray this prayer with me under your breath. Repeat after me. Pray, dear Lord God, Thank you for your incredible love for me. Jesus, thank you that you died for me on the cross and rose again. Today, I put my trust in you. I ask for you to forgive me and cleanse me from all my sin. And you give me a whole new life on the inside. Jesus, be my master. Be my lord. Take first place in my heart and life. Thank you for hearing my prayer and accepting me as your child. Just while everyone else is praying, if you're here and you just prayed that prayer, if that's the decision you made today, you're asking Jesus to be the savior of your life, then can you just indicate to me that that's you? Just by raising your hand, just say, if that's me, that's me. Thank you. To anyone else? Today you're saying, I'm putting my trust in Jesus to be my saviour. Is there anyone else? Lord, thank you for this young man today in your presence. He's just made a decision to be a follower of Jesus. Thank you you have heard his prayer and you accept him today. Let this be the beginning of an exciting journey into the strong life you have for him. In Jesus' name, amen.